0: Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash RVpod and use the promo code podcast10 to get 10% off our central membership for the first year. And now to today's episode. The signals are telling me to worry about energy. The big darling of 2022 is now the weakest link in the U.S. equity market. Why is that and why is energy not performing when China is open for business again? Steno Signals starts right now. Hi, guys. Welcome to the sixth edition of Steno Signals. Still overwhelmed by all of the positive feedback. And last week, we talked about how India suffers from the Chinese reopening. But this week, we're going to talk about another specific part of the market suffering as a consequence of the Chinese reopening. The darling of 2022, the energy sector, is the weakest performer in the US equity market over the past month. That is interesting given that most pundits told right about everyone to buy energy with an arm and a leg due to this Chinese reopening. It would bring back demand. It would bring back momentum for commodity markets in general, but so far we are yet to see it. So why is that? We will spend the next 20 minutes elaborating on the energy complex and why we don't see a strong rally in energy as a consequence of this reopening in China. But before we get to that, I want to show you my chart of the week, because I find it really interesting what's going on in Japan right now. We've received the latest set of wage numbers out of Japan this week, and the nominal wage growth in Japan is now close to 5%. So it's even above inflation in Japan, which is currently running just above 4%. This is interesting because it's the first time in decades that we've seen true wage pressures, true inflation pressures in Japan. And that's one of the things that I've highlighted so far this year, that the Chinese reopening would spill over to surrounding countries uh, from an inflation perspective. And we see that right now in Japan. We also see it in Australia And we see it in other surrounding countries um, with a a big trade tie to China. So keep your eyes on Japan and the Japanese Central Bank, because at some point they will have to throw in the towel on their ultra easy monetary policy due to this inflation spike. Uh, And the wage data this week only emphasizes that point. And I think it is linked to this Chinese reopening that we've been talking a lot about so far this year. But interestingly, it seems as if the momentum in commodity markets on the back of this reopening is dwindling as we speak. If you look across the commodity complex, um, most commodities have had a terrible week and um, even metals have lacked Uh, from a performance perspective, this week, I think it's related to some of the rhetoric out of the Federal Reserve, but it's probably also related to a lack of momentum in the Chinese buying of these fiscal commodities. If we look across the industrial metal space, we have declining momentum in copper, zinc, nickel, everything related to the industrial cycle. Um, Those commodities had a very strong Q4 and also very strong beginning to 2023, but now the momentum is fading a little bit. And why is that if China is truly reopening? It could be that we, the clients in the West, do not buy enough to keep the momentum going in the Chinese industrial production. Ultimately, we are the clients. So China is the manufacturing hub and we buy the goods produced in China. So if the end consumer in the West is still not buying uh, more from a momentum perspective, it will ultimately also lead to a dwindling momentum um, in this Chinese reopening story. And I actually think that is what is happening right now as we speak. But I also told you to be aware of an interesting correlation between, between Chinese activity and the commodity complex. When I look at what I call beta in commodities to Chinese activity, I note that industrial metals tend to perform when the Chinese activity is on an upwards uh, slope, while energy is at the bottom of the leaderboard in the commodity complex when China gains momentum. You can see that uh, in the table here with 10 years of data between the Chinese Purchasing Manager Index, so a gauge of the activity in China, and then the subsequent move in commodity space. We have metals on top of the leaderboard, and we have energy towards the bottom, in particularly energy in Europe, but also U.S. energy suffers uh, from a activity momentum in China. Why is that? That doesn't really make sense on the surface, does it? I mean, when China is open for business, you would expect China to buy more um, energy commodities to keep the engine running. But I think it relates to China being a very centralized economy and an, an economy that can dictate commodity trends ahead of major activity turning points. So, what we saw in China in Q4 was a major buildup of inventories of gasoline and oil. That is interesting because that was essentially ahead of the actual reopening. So, I guess as soon as the authorities in China started pondering whether to reopen the economy or not, they also considered whether to fill up the inventories with gasoline and with crude oil ahead of the actual reopening to ensure that prices wouldn't spike as soon as activity spiked. And that was essentially what happened into the latter parts of last year. China bought ahead of the reopening and they bought a lot of oil. Um, And interestingly, they didn't buy copper and industrial metals to the same extent. So inventories of industrial metals in China remained relatively low through Q4. What we see now on the latest data from China is that these inventories of, for example, gasoline, they start to dwindle. So far, I consider it a consequence of China actually allowing Further exports of refined products in energy space, so gasoline, for example, since they have too much in storage. But if this trend continues, it's certainly something to watch. But for now, China is actually flooding the global market with cheap gasoline, as they have plenty of gasoline stored already. The inventories of industrial metals have started to rise. So I'm also on the watch for inventory data on industrial metals, because that could also my positive view on industrial metals relative to energy commodities, if China manages to build up uh, a larger storage of industrial metals over the coming months here. The consequence is rather clear in equity space. If we look at the U.S. equity market over the past month, we have energy towards the bottom of the leaderboard alongside some of the so-called defensive sectors, so consumer stables, healthcare, etc. But you also notice that materials and industrial companies, they have performed decently well so far this year, at least relative to energy. And I think it is linked to this discrepancy between the price action and industrial metals relative to energy commodities such as natural gas and oil so far this year. Natural gas is almost halved in price just since 1st of January, while the oil price is moving nowhere relative to the latter parts of last year. And if we look at just the last week, energy is the only sector not performing at all. Otherwise, equities are up um, relative to just seven to 10 days ago, but energy is not, which is um, a clear indicator that the Chinese reopening is not bullish for energy, for now at least. If we look across this energy complex in equity space, I found a really interesting pattern across all geographies, basically. If we look at earnings expectations for energy stocks relative to the most recent set of realized earnings. Then we have a major negative spread now. So the average equity analyst now expects earnings to decline materially in the energy space. That is obviously a reflection of falling prices, natural gas prices down, oil prices down, leading to less earnings in these companies. But it's also a warning signal of what I call margin compression in this sector, if inventories start to rise more rapidly across the West, I would argue that it's a an early hint that margins will also be compressed for refiners and other parts of the energy supply chain relative to the almost extreme margins that we got used to last year uh, for refiners. So, For now, the momentum is clearly building in a negative direction for the expectations around the energy sector. And it's a global story. It holds no matter whether you look at U.S. energy equities, European energy equities, Australian energy equities, the energy sector is suffering from a drawdown in the expectations. For now, I don't really see any confirmation in price action that will alter my view Uh, on the energy sector, as I've been saying throughout January. I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again, March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holes barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together. The reason is that we actually have the first signs of growing inventories in the West as well. And that is a game changer relative to last year. We all remember how Biden actively promoted a policy of pushing more and more supply on the market from the strategic petroleum reserves. That is now a story of the past. And yet we don't see a spike in oil prices as a consequence of it. That is interesting because if you look at inventories in the U.S., They've actually gained momentum over the past, say, three, four, five weeks, even without the US administration doing anything actively to support it. So the private market is starting to add to inventories, which to me is a hint that the demand side is not really keeping up pace with the supply side currently in oil space. And we've been discussing over the past months, whether OPEC plus would decide to cut supplies as a consequence of this. But I still struggle to see that as a feasible scenario. First of all, from a geopolitical perspective, Russia is now incentivized to pump as much as they can. They were not a year ago. And that is an interesting change of scenery for the OPEC plus discussion since Russia now clearly wants to sell more to fund the war operations in Ukraine. And the lower the price goes, the more the Russians are incentivized to keep pumping, to keep the nominal income intact. And if you look at the demand side of the Russian oil and gas supply, the two major clients left for Russia are India and China, and I would suppose that China tells Russia not to contain supply, given that China is reopening right now. So why would they accept Russia containing supply at a time where Chinese demand will probably slowly but surely increase? That is a major game changer for the OPEC outlook relative to last year, where OPEC had the upper hand against the West and against its clients. I would argue that the table has turned on the bargaining power in the energy complex as well. Due to geopolitics and due to Russia now urgently needing to increase production, if possible, to fund the current war operations in Ukraine, and they are strongly incentivized to do so, given the slide that we've seen in both natural gas and oil prices recently. And the story of booming supplies is even clearer in natural gas space. As I said a few minutes ago, the price of natural gas is down 50% since New Year's, and I would expect more to be coming The reason is that inventories are booming relative to the same time last year, and it's a global phenomenon by now. I've created a so-called probability weighted model on the subsequent move in the spot price of natural gas, given three parameters, temperature, inventories, and demand. And right now, the storage slash inventory component of this model is as bearish as it can be. It almost scares me how bearish it is. So there is a major supply glut of natural gas right now as we speak. And that is almost bizarre, given that six months ago, we all feared this lack of natural gas in the West. But for now, a clear supply glut and The reason being that the demand side is not super strong. First of all, due to the slowing growth out there. Secondly, the demand side is not strong due to an overall hot winter in Europe and in the Northern parts of the US relative to averages. And then the supply side is now starting to surprise positively. That was not the case throughout 2022, where we had negative surprises to the supply of natural gas almost on a monthly basis. And if we look at the same model for European natural gas, it is almost as crystal clear a picture. The supplies are booming. There are no reasons to expect a price spike, given that supplies are now more than plenty for this winter. And even though the running supply of natural gas is down 25% roughly in Europe, Europe has managed to fight its way through this winter without spending too much. And that is, again, a marked change of scenery compared to last year. And for now, there are no reasons to expect the inventory uh, to, to drop in a way that is unseasonal, I'd say. And therefore, also from a European perspective, frankly, from a global perspective, we have a supply glut of natural gas currently. What a change of scenery compared to last year. But if we look a bit ahead, I think the key to this story around commodities and whether they can enter a super cycle, that's been one of the key discussions points last year. The key to that story is the US dollar. If the US dollar starts weakening, broadly speaking, against all peers, it may be a hint of a more bullish price action in commodities, broadly speaking. That is typically the case, at least. And right now, we've seen a slight reversal of trends in the US dollar as well, since we have firmer rhetoric from the US Federal Reserve. We have a repricing of short-end interest rates in the US, So the expectations for the peak rate for the Federal Reserve have increased lately. And that is typically something that spills over to a slightly better price outlook for the U.S. dollar. And that is in sharp contrast to what we saw through most of January uh, and also uh, the latter parts of last year. And currently, the dollar has turned into a headwind for commodities rather than a tailwind. And therefore, I think there's an important repercussion for global equity markets to consider given this. We've spent most of this year discussing the cyclical upturn in China and the spillovers through Europe. And oh boy, uh, equities have partied in Europe in January, especially countries with a big trade link to China, Germany as an example. And if we look at so-called cyclical equities in Europe, uh, consumer discretionary, to take an example, so luxury goods, they've partied like there is no tomorrow through January. Um, Gains of plus 20% in many instances, and they've also outpaced other parts of the European equity space by miles so far this year, and also, by the way, through parts of Q4 last year. The interesting thing is that we haven't seen the same repricing of cyclical equities in the U.S. relative to the rest of the equity market. One reason could be uh, this lack of momentum for commodities, but the other reason could be that markets didn't really expect the U.S. to regain a little bit of short-term momentum due to this Chinese reopening. It was clear that Germany would regain momentum from it due to the very clear links to China, but it was less clear that the U.S. would regain momentum. But given what we've seen from U.S. growth gauges over the past week or so, I would argue that it makes sense to bet on this short-term cyclical upswing in the U.S. over the next two months now, rather than in Europe. So I told you earlier this year to buy the European story. I think that story is starting to run on fumes by now. So I would rather expect spillovers to the US equity space and cyclical US equities relative to more defensive sectors as a consequence of lacking exposures to Europe and China. So it all started with this reopening. It spilled over to Europe. And now I think there is a chance that we will see a good month or two in the U.S. as a lack consequence of it. But before we write off this global commodity super cycle completely, I'd like to show you a chart on the positioning among speculants in the market in the U.S. dollar. The market is still, broadly speaking, long the U.S. dollar. It made sense throughout 22 and... As of now, short term, it could make sense again. But if we get a true pivot from the Fed Reserve, it's debatable by now. But if we get that true pivot towards the second half of the year, then it may make sense to bet on a weaker dollar again on a more structural basis. And that could, of course, be good news for the overall commodity complex and in particular energy once we get to that point in time. But for now, I think the safest bet in the commodity space is to remain long industrial metals. Industrial metals have clearer links to the Chinese reopening. They have clearer links to the German industrial compact. And therefore, it is a better choice if you want to be long this commodity supercycle to be long industrial metals than to be long energy. And energy has been the worst performer lately in the US stock market. So I was right when I told you that the Chinese reopening was not a positive for energy. I will keep you posted on this story week in and week out in Stenos signals. But uh, for now, I'd like to remind you that this is just a window into my thinking and my methodologies. I cannot guarantee you that you have the same risk horizon or risk appetite as I have. But I can guarantee you that I will be back next week with more from the global macro space and how to trade it. Thank you for watching.